unexpected reminder. Hebrews chapter 3. God has a reminder for you today. We're going to take a look at it. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. Now, Hebrews, as many of you are familiar, is written to the Jews. And Hebrews is really a, a dismantling of the religious system that's taken over that is not true belief. This is interesting. When Moses died, end of Deuteronomy, the Israelites took the teachings of Moses and God that had come through Exodus and Leviticus, and they began to add to the rules. They started to change what was already there. They began to make adjustments. And over generations and generations and generations, what came as a result was what we would refer to as Judaism, which did not actually trust in the God Jehovah, but rather in the inherent works of Judaism. Are you with me? Hebrews is written to those Jews. It's written to those who are focused on their personal, uh, uh, personal works. They're focused on the patriarchy of Abraham and Moses and other men. And they're fixated on things that they can do to earn their salvation. And so Hebrews is written with that in mind. Now, as we look at verse 7, I want you to see this. Verse 7, the Bible says, chapter 3, verse 7 of Hebrews, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice. Here's your reminder. God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. Now, I know that's basic level. You say, Cameron, bring out the, bring out the, real, pre- bring out the real preacher here. Okay. This is, this is something that you've got you've to realize today. God wants to tell you something today. Hey, I don't believe that God makes mistakes. And if, so, if you found your way here from all of the churches, from all of the cities, from all of the nations that proclaim the name of Jesus then God has something for you to hear. I truly believe that. So here's your reminder today. The Holy Ghost, by power of God, wants to tell you something. That's your reminder. Are we going to be listening? So, what does the Holy Spirit have for us today? Bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray and then we're going to jump into the passage today. Father, we love you. And God, we're so thankful for all you've done in our lives. We're thankful for the work that you do behind the scenes. Lord, we're thankful for all the times in the past when you've spoken to us. And when you've helped us with something that we were struggling with, when you pushed through something that was causing a distraction in our life and given us the wisdom that we needed in a particular time. And Father, I pray that just like those times today, you would meet with us, that you'd speak to us and through us. And Lord, that you'd make your word real in our lives. Lord, speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of you men have ever had a situation where you're sitting in your living room watching TV, reading your newspaper? How many of you actually read newspaper? Come on. Anybody? I actually had a couple of hands in the 830 service, so I was was kind of impressed. But uh, reading the newspaper, sitting there, maybe watching sports, watching ESPN. I don't know what it is you do at home. But how many of you men have been sitting there and you've had your wife come in. And she doesn't just come in the room. She just, she flows into the room. You know what I mean? Where like she's dressed to the nines. Like she's going somewhere. 
She's, she's got her makeup on. She's got her hair done. The Bible, would, the Bible would say she had painted her face that day. That's, that's Bible. I didn't say that. The Bible did. You're there, and you're like, man, I am the luckiest guy in the world. Wow. And then she says those five scary words. Are you ready to go? And the first question, it's a scary question, where? Where are we going? Or worse, is there an event today? Birthday? Anniversary? What's going on? Right? Sometimes our wives, people, tell us things. We forget to listen. We forget what they've said. Right? The Holy Spirit has something for us today. So let's jump in here. What is he trying to tell us And what do we need to listen to? Let's start right now. Uh, If the Holy Spirit spoke audibly, here is what he would say. We'll start in verse 8. The Bible says, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. First thing the Holy Spirit would tell you today is not to harden your hearts. Now this is referring back to the children of Israel. Uh, If you're familiar with the story of Exodus, we know that uh, they're in Egypt, that God had led them there through Joseph, that he had uh, left them there for 400 years. And as a result of uh, uh, Moses and being led out and everything, the, the children of Israel get led out of Egypt. They're away from Pharaoh. Instantly, they fall right back into sin. Instantly, they fall right back into doubting God. And this is what sparks the provocation. And so what happens is the children of Israel, they're looking at the Canaan land. They're excited about finally going into the land that God has promised them for generations. And yet, there's unbelief. And so as a result of that unbelief, God leaves a full generation in the wilderness to die before he lets the next group in. This is the provocation of the wilderness. But what caused the provocation, we see, is the hardening of their hearts. So, three things that they would do from this passage. Look here. The Bible says, verse 9, when your fathers tempted me. Tempted me. That means to put God to the test. Uh, the, The children of Israel would literally say, how much can we get away with? How far will God let me go into sin, into what he has told us not to do, before God is going to pull that chain back? How much can I get away with? The the children of Israel were testing God. They were pushing the limits of what God would allow them to get away with without coming in and causing some sort of punishment as a result of the things. The children of Israel were testing God, but that's not all they were doing. Number two, they were proving God. Verse 9, they proved me. Like someone would try metal in a furnace. You put metal into a furnace, you heat it up, all of the bad stuff comes to the top, the dross, you pull the dross off, and uh, that, that metal is left in the furnace for the finer. The children of Israel were pushing God to see if he is who he says he is. They're trying to provoke a reaction as a result of their behavior. They're testing him, they're proving him, but they're also, number three here, they are disregarding his works. They're looking on everything that God is doing in the world, all of the miracles, the manna that they're being fed, the the crossing of the Red Sea, 
the ways that he's provided them with shade during the day, with a pillar of fire by night. And they're looking at everything that God has done to get them to where they are, and they're ignoring it all. They're ignoring that God has brought them through some incredible things. They're ignoring the fact that God has done great works to bring them from where they were in slavery, in bondage in Egypt, to where they are now in the wilderness. And they ignored his works. And this caused a hardening of their hearts. By the way, let me say this. There are people today that live this way, with hardened hearts, disregarding the work that God has done in the world, pushing God, testing him. Yea, hath God said, pushing him, testing him, proving him, will God do what he said he will do? And we see as a result of this, a hardening of the heart. By the way, let me say this. The hardening of a heart is an act of choice. You ever think about that? The hardening of a heart doesn't happen by accident. There's no accidental hardening. That's why the Bible says, harden not your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Because there is a doing. If you're going to harden your heart, or have a hardened heart, it happens as a result of your action. It's an active choice. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit would tell us today, if He could speak audibly to you, harden not your heart. Don't test God. Don't prove Him. Don't put Him to the test. Trust that God is. See the actions that He has done in your lives, and the lives of the people around you, around the world, and trust that God is who He says He is. Amen. Harden not your hearts. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. You ever dug in your heels even when it didn't make sense? Fighting a losing battle and you still went, well, this is my story and I'm just going to stick to it. I had a situation like that this week. My, my daughter Candace, many of you know Candace, she's two, She's adorable, at least I think so. I am a little biased, though, but that's okay. Uh, and I love Candace. Candace is a cool kid. She's a cooler kid than I am adult. You know what I mean? She's just awesome. I love her to death. But she's not perfect. And this past week, she made a choice to dig in her heels and to really just, you know, like the Bible says, heart, harden her neck, harden her heart, and just kind of, I'm going to be stubborn about this thing. We were uh, eating dinner, and she had a bowl full of chicken, by the way, she loves chicken. Okay? This was not a situation where she didn't like the food. She loves chicken. Okay? That's one of her favorite foods. And she had two bites left in her bowl. Two bites. Now, any normal person, I mean, just boom, boom, gone, all done. But Candace has something that she's been struggling with lately. I don't know where it came from. I don't know what caused this whole thing to happen. But she likes to hold food in her mouth for indeterminate amount of times, inordinate amount of times. She'll hold it in her mouth for hours. I don't know if it's because she likes a snack later. I don't know if she's worried that we're never going to feed her again. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe she just doesn't trust us. Whatever the case, she has this natural tendency now to hold food in her mouth. And so she'll just chipmunk it up. And she'll go play with her toys. And she'll be watching TV. And she'll just be sitting there. 
Why? I don't know. I cannot explain it to you. I'm just telling you that it happens, all right? Pray for me. And this particular day, so, so what we've learned is that she's not allowed to get down from her high chair until the food is gone, right? That's what we've learned. And so uh, this particular night, she had two bites of chicken left. We said, hey, you need to eat your chicken. Boom, boom. Okay, chew and swallow. Chew and swallow. Chew and swallow. And chew and swallow turned into three and a half hours of not leaving the high chair until she chewed and swallowed. There was crying, a mouthful of crying, you know. Now, what Candace doesn't realize is as stubborn as she is, uh, she was brought into the world by the most stubborn person in the world. So uh, I'm there to see it through. That said, that said, uh, what was funny about the whole ordeal, we got through three and a half hours of crying, I don't want to eat it, holding it in her mouth, all the things. She finally swallowed, praise God. We're celebrating like she had just done this monumental task. Yay! You obeyed! All the things, you know, positive encouragement. And she looks at us, she's just been celebrating, and she goes, can I have a snack? (laughs) She had been sitting there so long, refusing to eat, that she had gotten hungry. (laughs) And she was still hungry. I don't understand, children. I don't know. If you can figure it out, let me know. Sometimes, God brings correction into our lives to help us make the right choice or to bring us along the right path. Now, maybe you've gotten caught before doing something you shouldn't have done. Uh, Maybe a parent or a spiritual leader has come alongside you and and helped encourage you in the right way. Maybe you've had trouble with the law and you've wound up in prison or or spent some time in jail or had to go to court for something specific. Some issue in your life where correction has come and you've been able to turn from that problem and move in the right direction. By the way, that's why we need parents who stand up to their children, who, who can lay the line of this is what's right, this is what's wrong, who will come alongside a spiritual leader like Brother TJ, Brother Derek, uh, Pastor Layman, Pastor Mutchler, and, and, and bring some sort of stability about what is right and what is wrong into the lives of a young person. Um, and so likely, if you're sitting in this room, you've had some level of correction that's happened to you in your past. And so God brings correction into our lives to help bring us to the places where we're supposed to be. Now, let me say this. If you are in this room already, I believe you're already responding to God. You're already responding to God. If you're sitting here, I'm kind of preaching to the choir because if you are here, people who are not ready to respond to God don't usually come to church. Have you noticed that? They don't want to hear from him, so they don't show up. And so if you're here today, you're already responding to him. You've already taken the step. You've already moved in the direction that you should go. But are you listening? But are you listening? The Bible says, number one, harden not your hearts. Let me say this. God will only reject those who have first rejected him. Verses 10 and 11 tell us, Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their hearts, And they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And this this Canaan land is a picture of heaven. And so the children of Israel were literally kept out of Canaan land as a result of their rejection of God. You know what's interesting about God? God, the the Bible says, 
that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all men should come to repentance. And not only that verse, but you know how confident I am of that? You're aware of the Lamb's Book of Life, right? The Lamb's Book of Life. Someday when we get to heaven, uh, our names will be in the Lamb's Book of Life if we're allowed into heaven. You're aware of the book? You'll go to the white throne judgment if, you're, if your name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life. You'll go to the judgment seat of Christ if your name is. Are you aware about this of the judgment, uh, about the Lamb's Book of Life? I, I love this, this, the picture of this. Do you know that the Bible never says that God will write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? It doesn't say it. It says that if you do not trust in God, He will blot your name, He will erase your name out of the Lamb's Book of Life. What does that mean? From the foundation of the world, from creation probably day one, God had your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life along with every other person who would ever exist. And it stays there until they reject him. And reject him for the last time. Do you see what an important call that is for intercessory prayer? Moses gives us the example in the Old Testament of going to God on somebody else's behalf. Saying, God, children of Israel just keep messing up. They keep doing wrong. They keep going the wrong path. They keep doing the wrong thing. And they, they, no matter what we do for them, they just keep going the wrong way. And yet, God, would you forgive them? Would you be merciful to them? God, would you work in their lives in a big way? Lord, would you come through for them one more time? And probably, if you were to reflect, there's someone in your life that's unsaved, hasn't accepted Christ, maybe living in a, a period of rejection even. They've hardened their heart against God, and they're like the children of Israel, living in provocation in the wilderness, dealing with the, the, the fallout, the punishment even, from their sin. Can I encourage you today to take their name to God on their behalf and say, God, would you extend your hand of mercy again? Lord, would you reach out to them? Would you bring someone across their path? Would you help me as I work to, to have a conversation, to, to, lead, to, to, to lead them down the path towards you, to invite them to church, or to, to give them a track, or to talk to my neighbor, or talk to my coworker, whoever it is. God, would you help me? Can I encourage you to be on the watch out for people around you whose hearts, maybe they're hardened. Maybe they're on their way towards rejection and a full-out rebellion against God, but in whatever capacity. Can I encourage you to step out for them? And ask God, like Moses did, intercessory, for mercy and grace for the people in our lives that need it. First thing the Holy Spirit would tell you today, harden not your hearts. Let's look at verse 12. The Bible says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. This word, these words, take heed here, mean to look physically And it means to look mentally. Literally to take stock of what is going on around you. You know, it's interesting in the Bible. uh, Especially non-Christians like to make this statement. You can't judge me. You ever heard that before? And they'll even quote the Bible sometimes. The Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. It's interesting though, the same Jesus who said, judge not lest ye be judged, also said to judge with righteous judgment. 
You see, as Christians, we, we walk this fine line, and there's a balance here, and, and this isn't the sermon, but I, I'm just going to touch on this and we're going to move on. As Christians, we have the responsibility to judge. We do. We are responsible for that. We have a responsibility to judge for ourselves right and wrong in accordance with the Bible. Right and wrong in accordance with with the people that we spend time with. The influences that we allow in our lives. the, The TV shows, the social... We're supposed to judge righteously whether or not certain things are good for us or bad for us. And so even as we're told, judge not lest you be judged, how can you take a mote out of your brother's eye if you've got a beam in your own eye, all of those things, we're still told to judge. And so in our lives, we've got to learn how to judge righteously. Now let me say this, we're not God. We cannot judge the heart of man. We do not know the, the situations and the problems and the mindsets that are going into an individual decision. We don't know what it is that has caused some sort of problem in this person's life. Uh, but God does give us the responsibility of judging who's a bad example. Someone who's going to hurt us. Keeping us from the, the sin. Keeping us from the, the drinking. Keeping us from the people who are going to guide us Away from God, God's given us the responsibility to judge accordingly and to make decisions for our own life. You know, teenagers, we, we like to preach on teenagers and peer pressure. You know, peer pressure is a real thing for adults too. It's a real thing for adults too. Hey, when's the hardest time to not take a drink of alcohol? Well, when you're, when you're over at somebody's house, maybe they're even a professing Christian, they offer you a drink. That's the hardest time in the world. Uh, no, no, no. It's hard. It can be hard. But you've got to know what you're going to do before you get there. And maybe you've got to make that choice to just not be friends with that person in the first place. We've got to learn to judge righteously. We're supposed to be inspecting, taking heed, inspecting the lives of those around us in order to determine who to spend time around. The Bible says what to look for. It doesn't leave us without, an, without a, a help here. It says what to look for. Look at this. It says, uh, Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Take heed, lest there be in any of you a heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief. What does that mean? Uh, it's described by a lack of faith. Someone who's fixated on the world, their circumstances. The things in life that would distract them from the true way. The true path towards what what God would have us to do, they're distracted. They're living in a world where they make the decisions. Where they are the the supreme ruler of all. They're the pilot, the co-pilot. They make every decision. They go whichever way they want to go. They're described by a lack of faith. Secondly, this evil heart of unbelief is described by general disobedience. Just outright living in opposition to what the Bible would have us to do. We as Christians have to be so careful. We're all, look, we're all susceptible to influence. Bad influence. And Satan's going to work in any way that he can to guide us in the wrong direction. And so we've got to be so careful to be sure that we're doing what we ought to do and that God is leading us in the way that we ought to go. The Bible says also, 
We need to watch for a departure from the living God. And this is, this is doctrinal problems. By the way, let me say this. Questions are good. It is good if you have questions about the Bible. We all have questions about the Bible. And if you're questioning something, that's fantastic. Now bring it to somebody who can help you. Uh, let me encourage you. Don't. I recommend not going to the internet. The internet's going to be full of people who say they know what they're talking about and may lead you in the wrong direction. But find a spiritual leader who can help you discern what the Bible says and do the right thing. Now, I'll say this. I love camp. Uh, If you were here last Sunday, uh, we had testimony time from the teenagers. I love camp. And there's something about getting away uh, for a week, driving hours into a mountain where there's no cell service, nothing in, nothing out, and we just be there for uh, you know uh, five days where we're just there, no cell phone service, no access to the internet, no access to the outside. The teenagers are preached at four times a day. And you wonder why, like last Sunday, there were so many spiritual decisions. Because when you surround yourself with these sorts of spiritual influences, you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. Hey, can I say this? As Christians, we've got to take heed. We've got to make sure that we are putting ourselves in the right places to hear the right things. We need preaching. All of us as adults, we say, oh, let's send the teenagers away for a week. Let's get them around some preaching. Hey, we need preaching. Hey, Christians! We need to hear the Word of God. And God will work in our lives in a big way uh, if we are looking for Him. So be careful of an evil heart of unbelief and a departure from the living God. Number three, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Read with me here. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, Christian, sin is deceptive. Satan is okay with trickery. He doesn't mind it. He's not afraid to... to, to he, he doesn't play fair. He doesn't get in the boxing ring with you and put on the gloves. And, no, no, no. He's going to fight you when and where he can over whatever he can because Satan doesn't mind playing dirty. Satan... I heard a statement once and I love this statement. Satan, there there are two things, two sins that Satan doesn't commit. Laziness and impatience. Satan is waiting for you when you wake up in the morning. Sometimes he's already started on you through your dreams, through thoughts he's putting in your head while you're sleeping. You're waking up, Satan's right there, ready to tempt you ready to get you with whatever is necessary to get you with. Satan is consistent. If you don't fail today, he'll be back tomorrow to try you again. Satan doesn't care if you don't mess up today. He'll be back again to try tomorrow. Because Satan is tricky. He's deceitful. Above uh, above all things, desperately wicked. Uh, and, And really, what we know about Satan is that he's not afraid to show up when you least expect it. He's going to show up and he's going to trick you into doing something that you would normally not have done. Uh, uh, It's interesting. So my wife and I went camping. Uh, We had found this spot on public land. And so we had driven around for a couple hours and just looking for a nice place to set up camp. And we had kind of narrowed it down to three spots. And we were just exploring, having fun. And 
um, I ended up letting Cindy choose where she wanted to stay. And so we had driven and, and finally found the spot that we wanted, and we set up camp there, and we were in this kind of like clearing inside the woods, and we'd pulled our car in there, and it's nice because we got to pull the car right up to where we wanted to camp and everything. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And by the way, did not see anybody the full day. We were there uh, a few hours a night, all night long, a few hours the next morning, didn't see anybody the whole time. A lot of fun. Really gotten away. Primitive camping. It was great. Um, and we're pulled in there, and we're like, in, it's like 7 p.m., and it's like, it's dark. And like, I'm thinking, man, it's almost bedtime, and we just had, you know how camp dinner hits a little different? You eat it, and you're like, oh, now I'm ready to take a nap, you know? And I, we just eaten food, and it's dark now, and I'm tired, and I, I'm, I'm just ready to go to sleep. And I realized, like, check my watch, it's only seven? You know, like, I'm a normal person. I don't go to bed before ten. Is that normal? I think it's normal. I don't know. Okay, how many of you go to bed before ten? Raise your hand. Before ten? Okay, how many after ten? Let's do another experiment. There were more after ten. Okay, another experiment. How many after midnight? Ooh, night owls. Okay, all right, just checking, just checking. Crazy. Woo! It's 7 p.m. And I'm looking like, that bed looks really good. And I realize, I look up, and I see through the trees, the sun is not set. It's like, here's the horizon. The sun is like, here. I got like an hour and a half or two hours before the sun sets. But what was the problem? We were back in the woods. And here's what happens in your life. You get so embroiled in the space where you are, so focused on the sin that you've allowed in your life, that things start to twist different. My wife and I took a walk. It was 7 p.m. We are like, I'm not ready to go to bed yet. So we took a walk. We walked up this big hillside. We got to the top where there was a clearing. The sun was pouring in on us. We walked out of the darkness, and it was like five degrees warmer. It was still daylight. But somehow, you lose sight because you get so focused on what you see. And in your life, you can get embroiled in sin. You can get focused on the the bad that you've allowed in your life, and you can lose sight of what you need to do. And this is why this third point is so important. We're supposed to exhort one another daily. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So where do we get the exhortation that we need? Well, three places. I'm glad you asked. Three places. Number one, the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Can I say this? Any opinions that you have that don't match up with this Bible are wrong. They're wrong. It doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what Fox News says, what CNN says, what Facebook fact checkers say. It doesn't matter. Teenagers, it doesn't matter what TikTok says, Instagram. It doesn't matter what the influencers say. It doesn't matter what you're hearing. What matters is what's written right here. You see, God said, 
I am the Lord. And there is none else. God says, I do not change. Yesterday, today, and forever, I am the same. So if God doesn't change, and his word doesn't change, what's the issue? Culture. You see, culture tries to put forth a watered-down gospel that says what applied 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, doesn't matter today. We're in a different place. 2022 is a new world. Wake up, drink the coffee, focus. No, no, no. I am the Lord. There is none else. Our God does not change. Our God's opinion has not changed. Our God has not changed an opinion since the day He created the world. Day 1, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. God does not change. If there's something that you think is messed up about the Bible and is in, in, in uh, contradiction to our society, let me tell you today, society is what's wrong. Let me tell you today, your political agenda is what's wrong. Let me tell you today, our society, our culture, all of these things are driven by Satan, constantly working one inch at a time to just push you in the direction that he wants you to go because Satan wants nothing more than to cause every Christian here to get so far off base of what the Bible says that they lose sight of what God wants them to do in their life. That's what God, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be so eternally focused that you cannot be distracted with what Satan brings into your life. And Satan wants nothing more than the opposite. To distract you, to cause you to become complacent, to become focused on your own self-comfort so that you do not do what God has for you. God wants to do something in your life. And I believe it a thousand percent. If you're sitting in this room, you're still alive. God has something for you. Because if he didn't, you wouldn't be here. God has something for you. And just like I believe he wants to talk to you today, God has something he wants from you. Where do you get the exhortation that you need? Right here. Right here. The Bible. The second thing, the second place you get the exhortation you need is from the church. By the way, this is the main reason God created the church. For other Christians to come together, to hear preaching. Preaching is great. We all need it. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. This is, this is the goal and the job of every pastor. Amen. To preach the word. To share the exhortation of the Bible with Christians. And if you're not here, you can't get what God has to give you. Hey, dream with me for a second. What if you found out today, your family doctor, your beloved family doctor, you found out just through a random series of events that he went through his eight years of medical school just to get his general, uh, general doctorate degree, but never went to class. He somehow just studied on his own, passed his own tests, whatever, you know, phoned it in. Would that give you any pause? That's a little strange. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were to find that out about a doctor, I'd be a little concerned. This guy didn't want to even go listen to another doctor talk about being a doctor? That's a, that's a little weird to me. And I'd be looking for a new doctor. Maybe you're like me. But, 
what we hold other people to, the standard that we hold other people to, like a doctor, well, he should just go and do what he needs to do. He should go to class. Yet as Christians, we'll choose not to grow. We won't show up at church. We don't trust that God has something for us today, and so we'll take a weekend vacation. And I'm, I'm not against weekend vacations. But we'll take time for us and forget that God probably has something for us today. God wants you to grow. God wants you to be what he needs you to be. And that comes from the Bible, not neglecting our daily devotions, but it also comes from church. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as we see the day approaching. Our job as Christians is to get that discerning understanding that we can only get from the Bible and only get from preaching. We have to be where the preaching is to grow the way that we need to grow. Have to. Not an option. If I don't feed my son Carter, he's uh, eight months old now. If I don't feed him, he's not going to grow. It's crazy. Who would have thunk it? Medical marvels. If I don't feed him, he can't put on weight. My, uh, both of my kids, it was really interesting, they just had a doctor's appointment. Uh, both of my kids are in the 70th percentile for height. It means they're kind of tall. If you lined up 100 kids in a row, they'd be number 70 in the, in the tallest. And they're both 10% for weight. Very skinny. I don't know where they get it. But, um, you know, if they do not eat, they do not grow. As Christians, we need to grow. We have a responsibility as Christians to grow. We talk a lot about Peter, you know, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. We talk a lot about growing and, and uh, being a more mature Christian, eating the meat of the word. But what we forget is that you start to increase your diet only through consistent eating. Okay, Carter, all right, Carter, he's eight months old, he has one tooth. Okay? Carter does not go from milk to ribeye. My favorite cut of steak, by the way. Medium, please. <laughs> Carter does not go from milk to ribeye just by getting a tooth. He has to work through crackers. He's got a, right now, his favorite thing is frozen waffles. Because the, they help his gums and keep them a little numb, and he loves them. He's all about it. They're already pre-cooked, so they're just cold. He lo- he's all about it. But he doesn't go from milk to meat like that. It doesn't happen. He has to have a steady diet of more and more advanced foods. And it's only through the process that occurs between being a baby and being a mature adult that you're able to go from one extreme to the other. And as Christians, hey, look, some of you, you want the meat of the word. You want to hear everything that God has to tell you, but you're not ready for it. You're not accepting the daily intake diet of God's word. You're not getting in your daily devotions at home. You're not reading it on your own. Then you're not coming to church because church attendance is no longer a priority for you. And so you you stay off in the world. You stay off doing your own thing. You stay off living your own life. And then you wonder why. You never get to take the steps of maturity that other Christians get to take because you're not growing. And it's up to you. You see, just like an Olympic athlete has to train for the Olympics for years. You know, 
I heard, I was about 10 years old, and just like any 10-year-old boy, you always, the Olympics come on TV every couple years, and you're like, ah, I think I could do that. I know I could never do it, all right? But I was 10. Cut me a break. I was excited, right? And just like every other 10-year-old boy, you look at them doing their thing, and whatever, whatever sport it is, I mean, in, anything, and you're like, man, that is so cool. I bet I could do that. What's crazy is, by 10 years old, you've already missed it. True Olympiads are training when they're four, three, sometimes even two years old. They're in the process of training for years before I ever even thought about it. Like, that would be neat. It's too late. I had missed the mark. Now, Christians, you haven't missed the mark. But when you think about the training of an Olympic athlete, how high of a level of a Christian do you want to be? Do you want to be a 10? It takes a lifetime. I don't, I, we'll never attain. It's a, it's a journey. And this, this level thing, I, I don't really know that the analogy works out, but stay with me here. If you want to achieve a level of growth in your Christian walk, you want to be a mature Christian, you want to be able to eat of the meat of the word, it takes work today. You've got to train today. You've got to read your Bible today. You've got to pray today. You've got to go to church today. You've got to spend time with God. If you want to grow the way that you need to grow, if you want to be able to eat of the meat of the word, you've got to grow today. And it's a personal decision. Exhort one another. We get that exhortation from the Bible. We get that exhortation from from church. And the third place we get it is from other Christians. This is why God created the gifts of the Spirit. That's why God has ordained a place for every single Christian in a church to fulfill the role that He has given them in their life. By the way, this is why judging carefully is so important. If you have people in your life that you don't trust, that you don't think are spiritual, that you don't think uh, will help guide you along the path that you're supposed to take, but God was to use them to bring exhortation into your life, would you want to listen to them? No. You wouldn't want to. And so you're supposed to surround yourself with people that you love, that care about you, that want the best for you, that can help guide you spiritually so that when God inevitably used them in their spiritual gifts to help guide you further, you'll accept it willingly with an open heart the way that God planned for you to do. As Christians, we have to accept exhortation. You can grow alone but you will not have an accurate measurement unless you line yourself up with Christians who are here to help you grow and help push you in the right direction. Iron sharpeneth iron. Let me say this in closing, by the way, that exhortation is a two-way street. You're supposed to receive it, but you're also supposed to give it. And you know, you cannot give correct biblical exhortation if you're not getting it from God's Word. Your political agenda doesn't help other people. Your social media posts about what have you person and what have you stayed about what have you issue, they don't help other people. If you want to exhort others the way that God has planned for you from the beginning of time to do, it starts here. The opinions that God has need to flow through you. The values that God's hold, you need to embody. And you've got to get everything that you need. Not from here, not from what I think, not from how I'm feeling today, but from the Word of God. And it's the only place that we can go for the actual exhortation that we need. Now, 
We're going to close. I don't believe that God makes mistakes. I've said that today already. I don't believe that God makes mistakes, and you're not here on accident. And so if, if you're here in this room, I believe that God has a spiritual decision for you to make. So in just a second, we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to close our eyes. Before we do, I want you to ask yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit. Have a little conversation, you and he. And say, what do I need to do? God provokes us to action. Our God is a God of doing. God, what do I need to work on? What in my life are you unhappy with? Maybe you've stopped growing. Maybe you need a place to, to start. And you've, you've walked in the wrong direction. You've gotten away from your Bible reading. But today, God, I want to start it back up. Maybe you've been neglecting the church. And you want to get back to faithful church attendance and, and being here every time the doors are open. Maybe. You need to take heed. You've been spending some time with influences that are pushing you away from, the, from God, that are making you more worldly with television and movies and things that are just really getting you off base. And they're sending you in the wrong direction. And today, you want to get that straight. Or maybe, we talked about belief and unbelief, and you've maybe never accepted Christ as your Savior. He died 2,000 years ago, and he died for you. The Lamb's Book of Life. You said, I, I don't know what that's about, but if that's what it takes for us to get to heaven, I, I want to do that. I can help you with that today. Every, let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. As the piano begins to play here in just a moment, I want to say, there's a couple things to know in order to know for sure that if you die today, you go to heaven. First of all, that if uh, you have to know that you're a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so, if you know that you're a sinner, then you have to also understand that the wages of sin is death. Just like if you deserve to uh, get paid because you work a job, the Bible says that because you sin, you deserve to die. That's the bad news. But the verse continues, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants to give you the gift of eternal life. He's died on the cross 2,000 years ago for your sins, past, present, future. And if you'll one time accept his gift of eternal life, he will come into your heart and save you from your sins and take you to heaven when you die. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, let me encourage you to pray with me. Prayer is something like this. Father, I know that I have sinned. And I know that sin cannot go to heaven where you are. I know that I deserve to die and go to hell. But I don't want to. And so please come into my heart. Save me from my sins. And take me to heaven when I die. And keep my name written in that Lamb's book of life. For the rest of us Christians, if God's working on your heart, here in just a moment, the piano's going to start playing. If you have something to pray about, would you, let me encourage you to come down to the altar. That's what an altar's for. Get your heart right with God, to pray about something that God's laid on your heart. Before we pray, is there anybody here that would say, the Cameron, I've never prayed that prayer before today. Never accepted Christ as my Savior, but today, I have. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you if that's you. Any hands? All right, I see that hand. Thank you. For the rest of us Christians, as the piano begins to play, if you have a spiritual decision you need to make, come to the altar. 
We've got our pastors down here ready to pray with you if you need it. Father, we love you, and we're so thankful for all you've done. Lord, thank you for working in our hearts. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your word and for its unchanging nature and the way, God, that you love us and that you care to work in our lives. After all our mistakes, out of all the things we do wrong, out of all the ways we get distracted and move away from you, Father, you're constantly working, and we give you the honor and praise for that. Lord, thank you for the one salvation this morning the young man who raised his hand, I pray, God, that you'd work in his life, help to know that you love him, that you desire to do a work in his life. God, we'll give you the honor and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, please have a seat. We're going to watch a quick announcement video, and then we'll be dismissed. morning sermon from our young adult pastor Cameron Howell was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at five for a special sermon from our youth pastor TJ Gardner. There will be a church business meeting on Sunday, August 21st following the 5 p.m. service. Join us as we vote to appoint two new deacons in our church. We're looking forward to our big day on Sunday, August 21st. This big day is for our Sunday school and adult connection groups. Let me encourage you, if you don't have a class or connection group you're in, this is a day you want to try it out. You can visit one of our 10 or 11 adult classes. Maybe you're a part of the teen group, or maybe you're part of the children. The children are doing backpacks with school supplies giveaways. We're also going to have inflatables for the kids. And then the teens are going to be having some back-to-school stuff giveaways as well. We're going to have a great time. I really hope you can make it and join us for our special big day in our adult connection group in Sunday school. Primetime with Pastor will be Tuesday, August 16th at noon. Lunch will be provided in the Abundant Life Classroom. The cost is $10. If you would like to sign up, please sign up at the welcome desk. Awana will be starting back up on Wednesday, September 7th. Every week, the children will get to play games and get prizes for completing workbooks and scripture memory. Throughout the year, there are fun theme nights where the kids can dress up according to the theme. Awana is for children 2 years old through 5th grade, and there is an annual club fee of $40 or $20 if the child already has a uniform. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. 
We would love to meet you, and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon, and we'll see you tonight at 5. And thank you for joining us today. You are dismissed. God bless you.